I'm Brianna, and I love old movies. And I'm Diana, and I, you know, like old movies. And this is a My Favorite Redhead bonus episode. Because we watched a movie and we want to talk about it. Hi guys, just so you know, this is a film review for the new film Being the Ricardos. So there will be spoilers, including a discussion of the ending. So if you haven't seen it and you would like to and you don't want it spoiled, we would invite you to join us for the next episode where we return to our usual format. So this week we're reviewing Being the Ricardos. We were planning on watching, reviewing, recording, etc., etc., on the 21st, because that was when it dropped on Amazon, but we had a bit of a family emergency that we've been, you know, monitoring. Yeah. (laughs) Since then, and then, you know, then there was Christmas, and the run-up to Christmas, and it was... Anyway, it's Boxing Day, so we're still on schedule for us. Yes, and we watched the movie on Christmas Eve, but we did a practice discussion while we were watching the movie by pausing it every so often to be like huh that's a thing so um but we still have plenty of fresh hot thoughts for you it is in fact a point that we were going to bring up that it took us all day to watch this movie (laughs) because we had a lot to say about it and also it is unnecessarily long for what is in it yeah so that being said we didn't hate it no (laughs) <laughs> so I'd like to start out by saying uh, we're, we're not going to do the usual format like with the recap and the pop culture references and all the fact checking because by this point like everyone else has already done that we're, we're the last pony to cross the finish line yeah. <laughs> if I can make a reference to the lemon drop kid real quick mm-hmm. so um, we're kind of just going to riff I think we're just going to have a discussion about it yeah more so than, like, do our usual sort of analysis. Keep it super casual. Yeah. Just our opinions, and there are lots of other podcasts, articles, all that stuff out there if you want to know what's accurate and what isn't about the film. Also, we haven't listened to any of those because we wanted to keep our opinions um, our own before we saw the movie and recorded the podcast, so... It wasn't showing at any theaters in our area, so we didn't particularly have the option to record it sooner. We weren't just like slacking and waiting for it to hit Amazon, but it was certainly convenient for us yeah. that it did eventually hit Amazon since it didn't show in our area. Yeah. So um, if we disagree <laughs> with anything that you feel strongly about, you know, we can have a conversation about that and yeah, have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. We love a conversation. We love a conversation. So also uh, I'm going, because I, my role on the show is as a newcomer to the world of the Ricardos and the Arnazes. (laughs) I don't have an extensive understanding of the private lives of these people, but I do have some storytelling background, so I'm going to approach the analysis and discussion of this film from that perspective. Yes. Rather than having any idea (laughs) what may or may not have been factually true. And I know, you know, a fair bit about their lives and their history and stuff, but I'm still not necessarily here to fact check. I just kind of wanted to see if the story held up, if this was a compelling narrative, how I felt the characters were portrayed, all that other fun stuff. I think we can start off by something that we agreed on almost immediately, 
this movie is really dark. It's like, so dark. Not dark in tone, but just like there dark. wasn't enough lighting. <laughs> and that's a trend we've noticed because we were watching American Crime Story mm-hmm. Impeachment earlier and there were like, there would be lamps in the scene, but they just wouldn't be on. There's a single light bulb in the whole series. I know. <laughs> so is this like a COVID thing? They just couldn't afford the electricity or what? It's, yeah. Some of us can't see so well and we would like there to be lighting in these productions. My, my one trope that I've noticed that I hope does not become like a thing is when they show you the headline of a newspaper, but it's so goddamn dark you can't read it. Yeah. It's like, this feels like a wasted shot. Yeah. I know you're trying to tell me something, but I can't see what. Yeah. So either shine a light on that or read it out loud. Like, the only, what am I looking at? The only one was um, the one that was literally in red print, which yeah. you could read that because of the bold color choices. And boy, that's also something I want to talk about when we get to it. <laughs> so we're, there's going to be a lot of criticism in here, and it's because uh, we both really like to analyze literature and mm-hmm. fiction and film and all that stuff. And we just, we, we tend toward the bitchy on a normal day. We didn't actually hate it, but it's going to sound like we did. Because yeah. that's just, that's just how we approach yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys have heard the podcast. I love I Love Lucy more than practically anything. And I still will be like, well, that was kind of silly. Yeah. So, like, you know, it. that's just how we do this thing. Yeah. So. But yeah, so we didn't hate it, but there were things about it that we certainly were critical of. Yes. And, but there were also a lot of things that we did like, and I imagine we will point those out yeah. as we go as well. Yeah, I'm sure. So. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so I have my notes broken down in terms of like a school book report, kind of, you know, with the characters, plot setting, yeah. etc. <laughs> but my, my main, I feel like all of that is really related to the plot. And my issues with how they chose to structure the actual story. And that is that it feels like there are three main stories going on. And it's difficult to pinpoint what exactly this movie is about. Mm -hmm. Like about in italics. So there are three main plot lines. There is the making of this particular episode, which is Fred and Ethel fight. Which inexplicably is in season two, even though that's literally the next episode we're going to record. Right. (laughs) In season one. And going into the... The lives of the people involved, so the writers, the producers, and mm-hmm. the Arnazes. The second one is their marriage, specifically, so the issues with um, her suspicions of infidelity. And then the third one is her investigation by the House on American Activities mm-hmm. uh, Committee. Yeah. Yeah. So... Hwak. Hwak. <laughs> which I'm going to be referring to it as Hwak from now on, because it's it has been funny to me since high school. Oh, yeah. And that was a long time ago. So... Hawk and Creep are like my two favorite American history fuckeries. So I kind of feel like because they split these up the way that they did, they didn't really allow themselves enough room to explore any particular plot line effectively, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. I feel like they should have chosen one plot line and then like folded the other ones in more subtly or in the background. I feel like because they... It almost felt like they were trying to give all three of them equal play. Yeah. They didn't they didn't have enough room to do all of them fully. And, and these things don't carry equal importance mm-mm. to, you know, telling this story. No. So But I think it's because they didn't have a clear message to start with. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to show the complexity of the time and all the things that everybody was dealing with at the time. Yeah. But in the most ham handed way possible. 
So it's kind of a documentary, like a docudrama structure mm-hmm. where they have the interviews with, um, <laughs> I guess, modern day versions of the writers, which yeah. is weird because they're in like modern clothes and speaking in a modern way, but in real life, they're all dead. Yeah. So if that's weird to begin with, but I'm not here to attack the timeline. So in the first plot line, we're talking about Fred and Ethel fight and Lucy has an issue with the um, opening scene. And that's also something I want to come back to when we get to it. Yeah. (laughs) And so we have a lot of bickering between the writers and we have a lot of bickering between the cast and um, Jess Oppenheimer and all that and everybody's bickering. And this is one of the things I have a problem with because it it kind of makes all the characters more or less one note. Mm -hmm. So Madeline Pugh Davis, basically her entire character is that she's funnier than Bob Carroll Jr. And that's just, that's just it. It's like every other thing that comes out of her mouth is, well, I'm funnier than you. And that, (laughs) that's frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) And then like Vivian Vance is, she's just snippy the whole time. She's snippy, and she's also insecure. Yeah. And she doesn't like Bill Frawley, and Bill Frawley doesn't like her. <laughs> Bill Frawley is, uh, he's kind of a fatherly figure to Lucille Ball, but then at the same time, his only real piece of advice is like, well, you have to stroke Desi's ego. Yeah. Like, that's it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool, thanks for being an ally. Jess Oppenheimer is just nervous the whole time. And he's just like, the only, practically the only thing he says over and over is CBS is never going to allow you to say pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's just it, is CBS will never allow it. And that's also, when we get to the second plot point, I have something to say about that. So it just feels like everybody gets their one character trait that they just stomp on over and over. And then Lucy, of course, is ambitious and she's a perfectionist. And I don't necessarily see it playing off as she's a bitch. I mean, she's she's bossy and she's assertive and she's a stickler for things. But, I mean, speaking as a creative, like, when you pour your heart and soul into something, you want it done right. Yeah. So I, I kind of appreciate her being like, mm, I have an issue with the writing here. Can we, like, fix it? It comes off as her caring about her craft and knowing her character very well. Because she's crafted this character. It's her creation. And so she knows, well, no, Lucy wouldn't do this. She wouldn't think that. Yeah. So it comes off more like an extreme attention to detail, which that's up to you whether you think yeah. that's a good or bad thing. But it, we kind of have to decide when we're making a production like this, do we want to play that as an admirable thing? Because there are times I feel like they do. Or do we want to play that like that's an overbearing bad thing? Because there are certainly times that they play it that way. And the way you make it an admirable thing is by giving them other traits as well. Yeah. <laughs> besides just, I'm ambitious and I want this done right. Yeah. So I, I just feel like everybody came off a bit one note. Even Desi, like he just, he's charming. That's what, mm-hmm. Desi's charming. It's, even She even mentions at one point to Jess, like every business idea went through him. Every creative idea went through him. And it's like, well then show us being crea- him being creative. Show yeah. us him being a businessman genius. I'm they good have, with words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have, um, I think it was Jess that says to her, you're married to a brilliant guy. And she's like, I know. But they don't show Jess actually at any point respecting him. They yeah. show him kind of disliking him yeah. and being condescending to him. 
And that's another thing is they, they get around a lot of this by explicitly saying things like Lucy said, sorry, Lucille said to uh, Madeline at one point, I respect you. I, you know, I, you're, you're a brilliant writer, et cetera, et cetera. You're a funny lady. But at no point <laughs> did they actually have a conversation together before this where it looked like they respected each other. Like they just keep saying, I respect you. You're funny. And that's another thing is that Madeline, her writing is funny, but she as a character was never once funny. Yeah. So it's like, they you can't just put things in dialogue and not actually show it. It does. It's, they're not the same. Yeah. That's a, an issue I have with the plot and the, the pacing in that storyline. Oh, except for the other part. When... So the scene is that she's arranging flowers on the table for a dinner party mm-hmm. and... Ricky comes in quietly behind her and puts his hands over her eyes and says, guess who? And she goes through this list of names and the, you know, teasing him because obviously she knows it's him, but she's teasing as if she has all these boyfriends, right? And the part that she takes exception to is that does she really expect Ricky to believe that there have been eight men in the apartment? And I'm like... And does Ricky actually believe that that's possible yeah. yeah and she's like am i is lucy stupid enough to not recognize that it's ricky and i'm like you're asking a bunch of different questions here like first of all it's a joke everybody knows that joke mm-hmm. it's an old joke and i feel she's like like do you want the audience to think that lucy is stupid or that ricky is stupid or that the <clears throat> audience is stupid and i feel like that's a reasonable discussion but this joke doesn't really merit it. Yeah, it's kind of a non-issue in this yeah. era, era, or this specific instance. Because, I, I don't know, it's just... And sh- her problem with it is that it's going to make the audience question the veracity of that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is weird to me, because anybody who has seen this show knows that there's a lot of suspension of disbelief. Right. Like... Because it's a sitcom. Yeah, I think there's like, there have been like three shenanigans so far that I can see actually happening in real life. (laughs) Like, that's not the point of the show. It's not supposed to be believable. It's supposed to be funny. So I just don't understand why they chose this particular scene to be like the focal point, like the crux of this entire plot point. But I guess it's just uh, an illustration of her perfectionism. And also them... um... Her being like, no, we need to work out the staging of this scene. We need to fix this now. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of saying, no, it's fine as it is. Why are you being like this? And Vivian Vance and William Frawley with their backs to the camera. Yes. And Lucy being the only person that realizes we need to get you guys on the other side of the table facing the camera. Yes. Which seems unrealistic to me that that would be something. Anybody who knows that they would anything about in the theater. First place. Yes. We have all those, those crew and all the writers and all the actors and nobody has said the two main characters have their back to the camera. Yeah. No one has noticed and everybody's cool with it. Like that's like a cardinal sin. Mm-hmm. Even I know that and I've never been in a play. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a weird choice to me. So the second plot is the Ricardo's marriage. And so there are also the a lot Arnaz's of... The marriage. Sorry, the Arnaz's <laughs> marriage. You're right. There's, there are a lot of flashbacks in this film also because they show, like, the beginning of um, her film career. Mm-hmm. They show when they met, when they first got together, and then, like, the pitching of taking My Favorite Husband to TV yeah. and adapting it. So there are a number of flashbacks. So they kind of follow from when they met when they... 
23. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot you can do with CGI and, and makeup. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, I have no problem with these actors. I think they did a great job, and I think they both are... Um, very nice looking people, but they did not look 23 and 29. In the real life, I looked this up, they're 52 and 54. They looked 50. And that's just, that's just how time works. That's just how musculature on That is how human bodies go. People age and it's not a moral failing, but sometimes you can't play 23 when you are in fact 52. So that was so, that was also a choice. Yeah. So they tried to get the camera choice. real far away from them at that point in time, but you know, <laughs> I I don't want to sound mean. I feel like I'm harping on this a lot. So it's just a, it's just a, another baffling choice. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of emphasis on the Arnaz's marriage, and I feel like this is really only in there. I feel like if they had wanted to stick just to the one plot line. And not look too closely at the personal lives, people would have squawked and been like, well, mm-hmm. you know, he was unfaithful. And so I feel like they felt that they had to shoehorn this other plot line in there. And this is another area where it gets a bit one dimensional because we do see Lucille and Desi acting as a team in a few places, but the main plot line is where were you on Wednesday night? Yeah. Were you on the boat playing cards? And it was just like, I don't, I, at a certain she, point, I don't care about the damn boat. Yeah, she says, when he tells her, no, that picture is from such and such event. You were there when it was taken. This is all made up and that photo is out of context. She's like, you're right. I remember this picture. Okay. And then she buys him, but you can tell it's kind of sitting in the back of her mind. And she just keeps bringing it up and they keep, playing it off like it's nothing and it's because in their I know I said I wasn't going to fact check but <laughs> in their actual real life the infidelity was something that had been a member of this marriage for a long time and it was something that she was aware of and I believe in real life when that confidential story came out which wasn't in the same week <laughs> as the hawk but (laughs) when that came out she was embarrassed because it was on a national newspaper more so than like I cannot believe you would cheat on me because she knew that he had a history of visiting sex workers and it was something that they had duked it out about before and didn't she say something like i could give him a hundred stories better than that yeah yeah <laughs> so like, like it wasn't a shock yeah but that's another thing that it's going to come up in the next point that i have is that the main conflict in this film is almost entirely in headlines mm-hmm. like you don't ever actually there's not a flashback to the boat party to find out what exactly desi was doing there's not, like, him discussing things off-camera with other people. With the Hwok thing. She's testified before the committee last week in movie time, mm-hmm. and we never at any point flashback to that. We don't see yeah. that happening. Yeah. So a lot of the action takes place off-camera, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like they're trying to do this, like, almost like a... Cl- what's the term for the mystery? Closed circle? Yeah. It's almost like they're trying to do that, but it's not a murder mystery. Yeah. And it's like, everything has to take place here on the soundstage. A closed room. 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Except for when it doesn't, because there are scenes that don't take yeah. place there. Yeah. So it's it's confusing at times. Yeah. The things they chose to focus on and the things that they chose not to. Also, she's pregnant. Yeah. And <laughs> that's a whole thing. That's as part of the the plot line with the uh, both the writing of the episode and the uh, the marriage because Desi wants. Lucy to be pregnant in the mm-hmm. show and Jess Oppenheimer is like CBS is never gonna allow it which is you know he's like a, one of those like toys with the pull yeah. cord that's like all he <laughs> says is CBS will never allow it and then they have to have the conversation with all the executives and they're like CBS will never allow it and it's like they even drew attention at one point in the writer's room and Lucy was like did anybody say congratulations yeah and it's like I did actually like that that was funny <laughs> but it's also like turning around like how do you feel about being pregnant yeah. Like, we literally saw a baby once in, like, half a scene. Yeah. So it's like... They mention that she's just recently given birth to Lucy, and um, we know, if we know the show, that this baby she's pregnant with now is Desi Jr., but that's hardly discussed at all, and yeah. if you know anything about them, you know that they really really wanted children so it was a big deal to them that she was pregnant again because they had been trying for a while to get pregnant because she was getting older and she wanted to have another baby while she still had a chance it's just they they play off this pregnancy this this whole human child (laughs) as more important as an obstacle to the show Mm -hmm. than to them as a family or her personally as a woman, a wife, and a mother. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, how are we, how is this going to affect the filming? How, it's just. And they did have those discussions in real life, but there was more to it than that because it was kind of like, and also the thing with just being like, well, they're never going to let you show that on TV. That was everyone's reaction at first. They're never going to let us show this. And then I believe in real life, Desi and Jess came up with the idea together, you know, the show is really successful. We can't just go off the air. What if we write Lucy Ricardo being pregnant into the show? Lots of real life people have real life babies, so they'll relate to this seeing it on TV. So it was something that they discussed together. It certainly wasn't something that Jess Oppenheimer pushed back against. It was something he embraced. And from what I understand, a lot of the pregnancy stories or things that were inspired by real-life events that happened to him and his wife when they had children. Some of those things were, you know, pulled from um, Desi and Lucy's life when they had little Lucy. So, like, it was collaborative, and it was something that they all got behind when they realized that they were going to do that for the show. And they did still have CBS fighting with them, and that telegram that said you know don't fuck with the cuban that Mm -hmm. is something that happened in real life so there was only pushback for so long on that there's a very adversarial relationship between everybody except between bill frawley and lucy yeah everybody else looks like everybody's fighting with jess like the writers are fighting amongst themselves lucy and vivian are fighting like and even the bill frawley relationship is like he's very supportive of her but also like you need to let Desi be a man. Yeah. So he, it's just like... He likes her, but he's, like, wanting to correct her because he thinks, hey, if I can give her this advice, maybe that'll be what she needs to hear. Maybe that'll fix their marriage. Yeah. It's just... 
their choices. I wouldn't say it has a dark tone. Like, it's not like, a, it's not a heavy movie, but it's not as, it's not what I expected, I should say. I think that you can't really tell these people's stories and have it be lighthearted because their marriage was turbulent. They did go through a lot of stuff in their personal lives, even before they ever even met each other. They both had difficult backgrounds, but it's kind of, it's one of those things. It's like, what exactly is the tone we are going for yeah. here? Because it seems like they want to give you entertaining and maybe not lighthearted, but kind of um, more of a neutral tone yeah. than like depressing and dour. But then there are times when it just goes full on depressing and yeah. like not to skip ahead or anything, but the ending it you know just flashes up at oh, the end weird. is how yeah and then they filed for divorce in 1960 which is like but this takes place in 1952 or something yeah so it's like that's 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 a bit ahead we're jumping ahead yeah and the thing is they had ups and downs in their marriages between then and you know when they did in the marriage so it's think... not like it was just a downward trajectory from her seeing this article in confidential magazine to the day that their marriage ended. I think it's just it's just another one of those choices. Like, again, I don't know what they were specifically going for. Because mm -hmm. if you're trying to show that their relationship is turbulent and complicated... Well, all the relationships that they portrayed were turbulent and yeah. complicated. So, like, I would have played it as a foil. Like, you have uh, Viv and Bill fighting constantly. Because that's funny. And you need to have your, like, quack, quack, bicker, bicker couple, right? And then... If you had, like, the writers all working as a team and being, like, very supportive of each other. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, and then having Viv and Bill Frawley independently being very close with Lucy and Desi. And then you had Desi and Lucy fighting mm -hmm. and making up and fighting and making up. Then you have all of these different relationships yeah. in context with each other instead of just everybody's fighting all the time. Yeah. And I get that it just looks like a very toxic environment yeah. rather than... <laughs> I get that it's supposed to be this week of heightened tension, but there's also not a lot said that indicates that it's not normally tense. Yeah. Like, they point out, like, why is she going so hard picking apart this joke, but they don't ever say, this is totally unusual for her. Yeah. Because we're given to understand that she always has a certain expectation, certain attention to detail we're given to understand that they're always kind of, or that the Arnazes are always kind of maybe bickering sometimes and going and pulling rank in. because like in yeah. the first scene, Desi's like, look, I'm the president of Desi Lou, So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm telling you to do such and such a thing. Yeah. And you know, Desi Arnaz was very charming in real life and he knew how to be tactful with people. And that was one of his great skills as a leader that he could be like, hey, we need to work this thing out here. And he could figure out a nice way to tell someone that that won't, like, you know, devastate them. Yeah. <laughs> so, like saying, I'm going to put my hand down your throat and pull yeah. out your lungs. <laughs> but then he had a comical little pop yeah. noise on that. So Yeah. I mean, not that that's not a good line. It also just didn't necessarily fit... Um, with anything yeah. really grounded in reality. But, you know, 
Yeah, it was a choice. <laughs> it was it was confusing at times why they what yeah, like you said, what they were trying to convey yeah. when they chose to portray things yeah. certain relationships in yeah. specific ways. This is very strange. So the third thing is the investigation, the House on American Activities uh, Commission because so Lucy was a registered member of the Communist Party, which again is something that kept being repeated over and over, she ticked a box. She may or may not have made a mistake in ticking a box 20 years ago, which she did out of loyalty to her grandfather, who believed in the rights of the working man. There. That's her entire script. This did happen, and she was investigated by the House on American Activities Commission, and she was cleared of any suspicious Mm -hmm. communist activity. This was such an important part of history. People were literally executed for being communists in the 50s. Like, it actually happened. Like, people were dying. And, and they they kind of play this, like, you know, the worst thing that could happen here is if we lose our careers and the show ends. But there are actually worse possible consequences. Yeah, it was played off almost as just, like, annoying. And, like, Jesus, now I've got Hawk on my ass. Like, no. Like, this is a serious issue in the 50s like the red scare was not a joke Mm -hmm. and in fact desi at one point made a joke about lucy being blacklisted and somebody was like that's not funny and it's like really because you kind of you kind of like not really giving it the the gravitas that it needs so if you're not going to really die and this is another thing that they pretty much just talked about on a radio in the opening scene and on hit in headlines and it's like, we should have seen her testifying. We should have seen, like, FBI agents mm-hmm. or whatever, like, people, like, in the trash. I don't know what they did. But, like, there needed to be more tension around that because it was such a big deal right. in real life and history. And I feel like if you're not going to put the effort into that plot line that needs to be, th- like, then just don't make it during that week. Like They paid more attention to... The flowers. Yes. Then the House of American Committee. So if you don't want to, like, really deep dive into all the bullshit, then, like, pick a different episode to bicker over. Yeah. Like, just cut that out. Just stick to the making of I Love Lucy, the private lives of the people involved, and maybe some tension in their marriage. Like, just cut Hawk entirely. Yeah. Or if you're gonna do Hawk, then maybe, like, don't spend so much time on the infidelity. Don't spend so much time on the goddamn flowers. Pick a lane, guys. Pick one. And even then, it was a thousand years long, and I still don't know what it's about. Yeah. We kept pausing it to be like, well, that was a choice. But (laughs) it's just, it's very interesting that I feel like a lot of the marketing for the movie was about the communist stuff and about the marriage, but that's still kind of, those things were just there, but... Everything was just sort of there. I think the thing that got the most attention and the most depth was the attention to the TV show. Lucy being like, hey, you guys have to come. And she, I, I don't know if this happened in real life that Lucille Ball called Viv and Bill to come down to the soundstage at 2 a.m. That was a manic episode we were seeing. <laughs> and... Bill's like, I think I should drive you home multiple yeah. times. And it's just like, okay. And that's the other thing. Bill Frawley, if he makes one more drunk joke. Yeah. And, you know, I know in real life that he did have his struggles, but yeah, I think he probably had a personality outside of... Yeah. But anyways, she, you know, I don't know if that happened in real life, but that seems like the kind of thing that if it did, 
it would come up in a lot of people's biographies and discussions of these people. But, like, a lot of the tension does seem ratcheted up in ways. Like, I've never heard Bob and Madeline, who were a writing team already before they started working on I Love Lucy... I believe they were a team before they even started on My Favorite Husband. They were definitely a team before they started working with Jess Oppenheimer. And they, you know, continued to work together and they wrote for Lucy for a long time. And they would, like, give interviews together because they were a team. I've never seen any tension between them like that that would indicate that I wouldn't say they necessarily played those two people like Madeline didn't respect Bob, but they did kind of play it like she saw him like he wasn't ready to sit at the big kids table. And he was, he was kind of nervous. Like he wasn't really sure. Yeah. Like he didn't have a lot of confidence and she was very confident, which I get because you have to be, yeah. If you're going to be the woman in the boys' room, you have to be bold and take no prisoners. Especially if you're going to be a comic writer. You can't yeah. be a shrinking violet. Yeah, so I get that, but I don't know that it's necessarily accurate that she's kind of smacking Bob Carroll Jr. down all the time. And I've said this multiple times off mic, and I have to say it now. Mm-hmm. I want justice for Bob Carroll Jr.'s actual eyebrows. Now, this will sound silly. But look look up pictures of him. The man has thick, glorious, very dramatic eyebrows. Just, if you have seen, close your ears. If you've seen the episode where Lucy becomes a sculptress and they show that picture of her ancestor with the big dramatic eyebrows and he's wearing the schmock and everything, that man, those eyebrows are Bob Carroll Jr., Okay, you can unplug now. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're tr- I'm still trying to keep her spoiler free. Which was very inconvenient that they were doing the episode before we had a chance to watch it. Yeah, but, it was, you know. She was like, don't pay attention to this. I'm yeah. like, I have to. I have to review this movie. <laughs> I was like, it's going to be a little bit spoilery, but, like, don't commit it to memory. Are Fred and Ethel going to fight? <laughs> they might. Uh-oh. I know. It'll be so uncharacteristic I for know. them. I know. I've never seen that before. <laughs> They're such a unified couple. Yeah, they love each other so much. <laughs> so tender. But, um, yeah, so he had those eyebrows in real life. And every time there's a biopic, because we have this movie now, but we also have the 2003 made-for-TV movie, Lucy. And we have the 1991 made-for-TV movie, Lucy and Desi Before the Laughter. And in either of those productions, there is no man with those Bob Carroll Jr. eyebrows. And they gave I, John Travolta tiny little eyebrow wigs when yes. he played, played Bob Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it can be done. Yeah, I want I want some eyebrow toupees on yeah. the actor or hire a real strong brow you just, king. You get in there with, like, some brow gel and a spoolie. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Isn't that, like, the soap brow trend? Yeah. Yeah. So it's possible. Yeah, you do it. Well, Oof. not... Gross. You and I don't do it because no, we were blessed. No, we were, we were blessed with naturally present eyebrows yes. but god gave us the sharpie brows yes so we're god good said groucho's gonna have two daughters <laughs> in california in the 80s yes <laughs> we've been wrangling with them since yes <laughs> and that's another thing so this is at least the second time that one of these lucy biopics has done a thing where it was like 
Lucy hyper-focuses on how this detail needs to be changed for the episode. But if you've seen the episode, which if you're seeking out a Lucy biopic, you've seen the episode. Yes. You know that the detail does not get changed the way that Lucy insists that it needs to be. So, like, in this show, we have Lucy talking about how she wants to cut the flowers and all of that. That doesn't happen in the episode. And then they kind of tie that into what I thought was a very heavy-handed ending Mm -hmm. for this movie, which we'll get to. And in the 1991 Lucy and Desi Before the Laughter movie, in Lucy Thinks Ricky is Trying to Murder Her, she wants that line changed where Lucy says, I'm not even dead yet and he's already lining up girls to replace me. She wants that line changed and we never get into why it doesn't get changed, although they kind of play it off like Desi doesn't go and talk to the writers to get it changed. So it's like... There's something about Lucille Ball that these people making these movies want you to think, hey, she pays a lot of attention to detail, but then the things that she's being detail-oriented about don't come through. So I'm like, what are we trying to convey? Is it because the writers are sexist? Yeah, is she the girl boss or is she not? Like, are they not taking her opinion seriously here or... Is she too detail oriented and having too much control? What is what is the story you What's want the me point? to take away? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. But I do think it was funny that we both made the Chekhov's gun joke at the same yeah. time. <laughs> because there's this one scene where she's so excited because she got picked for this movie with what's his name? Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda, that's him. Anyway. The movie's The Big Street. Yeah. And the big one. If you haven't seen it, you should because she's really good in it and she's really beautiful. However, I will say it's not my favorite movie. So there's that. This, this isn't a review of The Big Street written by or based on a story by Damon Runyon. Yes. Our guy from The Lemon Drop Kid. Yes. Go listen to that episode. It was a lot of fun. It was funny. So she got the part. So she's so excited that she, the car is broken down on her way to tell Desi. So she's running... Is it through the rain or is she just running? I think she's just running, but it... She's just running, running half a mile, and she's got a bottle of champagne (laughs) while she's running. And we were both like, oh, no. And she sets it down on the table, and she's like, we should pop it. And he's like, no, that's a grenade. And then they start talking about the role and her scheduling conflicts and how, you know, he just wants a wife who's just a wife. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And then they mention um, Uncle Vanya, and then... There is another shot of the champagne. Somebody makes a comment. And I believe there is also a third one completing the rule of three. Mm -hmm. And then they're all happy and they kiss and the bottle explodes. And Brianna and I were like, it's Chekhov's champagne. (laughs) So it was very funny. We made the same joke at the same time. So writers, we see you. Yes. Yeah. So all in all, I I didn't hate it. Did you have any other points you wanted to make? Um, I have a few things written down here, but... So it was just it was just really really interesting. So many things about it didn't quite make sense and you can kind of see that they're going for something but not quite able to pick up what. So not to spoil anything but you guys already know that's why you're here. The ending of it is Desi getting up in front of the audience mm-hmm. and telling them um, you know, you guys have heard about Lucy in the papers with the communism thing, and I just want you to know that she's been totally cleared, and I've got somebody on the phone who's going to tell you that she's been cleared. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the person he's got on the phone is J. fucking Edgar Hoover, 
who's like, oh yeah, Lucy's been cleared. She's, you know, she's done nothing wrong, etc., etc. And then he goes back to tell her, basically, we're done a great show, let's mm-hmm. go out there. And she's like, are you cheating on me? Yeah. And then there's the, the line about they got divorced. And I'm like, the, the show should have ended, the movie should have ended with she was cleared of communism charges. Yeah. And not like, she was cleared of communism charges and then they got divorced. Which was like, years later. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, if they want the marriage being troubled to be the main takeaway from the movie, that's fine, but you have to give that more attention, dig more into it. And, like, I feel like a lot of these productions, and a lot of people, they're fans too, frankly, they want to look at the marriage and be like, well, they were really happy together, they really loved each other until... Desi was evil and bad and cheated on poor innocent Lucy and then they broke up which is like I'm not here to defend infidelity I you know that's obviously wrong but a marriage isn't comprised of two people and one person's mistakes there are two people in the relationship nobody is free from fault and if they want to say that he cheated because she was too domineering, that she was cold, whatever, they don't really carry that out well. Make that point if that's your point. Yeah, and also that's not (laughs) true, but... And also, like, not not to be that person, but, like, unfaithful husbands were not, like, that big a deal in the 50s. Like, yes, it was something that a lot of marriages struggled with, mm-hmm. but it was also extremely commonplace. Yeah. Like, everybody. So, in that 91 movie, it's almost all about the... I'm, I'm not mentioning these two movies, like, as if to say that they're required reading to understand this mm-hmm. movie, because, I mean, both of them have good points and bad points, but, like, in that 91 movie, it's clearly mostly about the relationship. So it kind of has its point, and it makes its point, which the point in that movie was that Desi cheated and was evil and bad and hurt Lucy, and that's why they got divorced, which they don't even get to the point of them getting divorced in that movie, but like... The people just focus too much on that yeah, particular like, aspect of their marriage. Yeah, people focus almost exclusively on that, but like, that movie is kind of trying to imply that... That's the only problem their marriage had. And it does communicate that point, but it's also, like, it wasn't very well received because it wasn't a well-rounded picture of two people. And then you have this movie that kind of is like, hey, so we have this dynamite sexual chemistry and also um, one of us is cheating on the other one of us and we kind of have this quippy relationship Mm -hmm. where... You know, we make light of our problems, and then also we make this show together, and then also we're going to get divorced one day. Yeah. So, it's like, there's not a lot of examinate Because, like, you would think with a movie like this that they would want to examine the feelings and the real-life struggles behind that troubled marriage, but they don't really get in-depth at all. Yeah. So, like, even with the movie... Like that, the 91 one, that was inarguably a, an inferior production, <laughs> quite frankly, 
it still digs into those feelings and communicates its point about those feelings. But in this, we just kind of see, yeah, well, we're having trouble. Yeah, well, we had a baby and we're about to have another one. Yeah, well, we're going to end up divorced one day. Eight years from now. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's, it's not even like it ended their relationship. Like, it ended the marriage, but they were still a part of each other's lives. Yeah. Arguably had a better relationship yeah. after getting divorced. So it's not like this big cataclysmic thing that destroyed everything and burned the whole house down. It was yeah. like they just couldn't be married at a certain point, And they went on with their lives. Yeah. So it's... It's confusing, and I know a lot of times when people want to portray them like this marriage fell apart because Desi was a bad husband, this movie did at least try to show these are two flawed people, mm-hmm. which who amongst us isn't a flawed person? That's yeah. not an unfair thing to say about a human being. We're all flawed. It's a part of being human. But this movie does at least try to do that, and I commend that, but it doesn't really give it the attention it deserves if that's going to be the main takeaway from the movie. It kind of made everybody, more more so than flawed, it made everybody, like, unbearable. Yeah. Borderline unlikable and just plain unlikable in some cases. (laughs) Ironically, except Desi. He cheated, but he's the only likable character. Yeah. I mean, Bill Frawley's fine. Yeah, he, he was fun. Like... I did enjoy the scenes with uh, Bill Frawley and Lucille Ball having that close relationship. Yeah. I know they were close in real life, so that was nice to see. That's nothing I've ever seen focused on before. But I feel like the relationship with Viv was really underplayed because... And they weird. Had, yeah, very weird. They had a complicated relationship in that a lot of that stuff they show in this movie is based in reality. Like, Lucy was very reluctant to ha- let her have the part at first because... She was very close in age to Lucy. She was very pretty. She wasn't dumpy, which Lucy was imagining this character as someone that would stand next to her and she would look way better in comparison, (laughs) as opposed to Viv, who's someone who is actually really nice looking. So, you know, they would always be like, okay, well, we put it in your contract that you need to weigh this certain amount so that you'll be bigger than Lucy so that you can kind of dress down so it'll downplay you looking nice and stuff like that and they did kind of clash at times and like they had this relationship that was kind of like sisters (laughs) they loved each other very much they worked together really well they cared about each other a lot but they also would bicker they would butt heads and it was never something that you know ended their relationship it was never something that made them like you know storm off out of after an argument with each other they would tend to like get into it hash it out move on and like the one time in their lives when they were working on I think when they were working on here's Lucy when they kind of fell out for a long time that turned out to be a complete misunderstanding And when they found out that it was a misunderstanding, they were both like, oh my god, I can't believe that we let that happen. That was so stupid. And, you know, they went on. And after Vivian passed away in real life, Lucille Ball was deeply depressed and said, you know, my best friend died. I can't, I I don't know how to be on TV without her. And that's part of the reason there's such a long gap between Here's Lucy and um, Life with Lucy. It was very hard for her to imagine being on television without Vivian Vance. And, you know, they had a very deep and special bond. 
And it took them some time to get there, but I would think that by the time that they're already working on season two, that was a point when they were already closer than this movie portrays. Because there are some moments when they are close, like toward the end, when they're about to go on for that show, when, you know, Desi does talk to Jagger Hoover on stage. Yeah. Like, they have a really lovely moment then when they're, you know, they're kind of propping each other up. But I would imagine that they already were closer than that. And even if we don't have proof that they were closer than that, you could have shown some of that in the movie to kind of humanize If you're going to fudge some details. Yeah, like that's you something might as you well can fudge. afford to fudge yeah. to humanize them some to show you know some something that you can feel emotionally invested in i probably would have portrayed them as like actually besties like yeah. i would have i would have portrayed um her as like lucy's confidant mm-hmm. and lucy being like you know i'm worried about i'm worried about having another kid because i'm worried about desi being unfaithful i'm worried about having another kid and how that's going to affect the show i'm worried mm-hmm. about having another kid because you know childbirth is still dangerous yeah etc like, I'm getting older, et cetera, et cetera. Like, or if they're going to go down that route and spend so much time on that, or her being, like, going to Viv and being like, I'm really bothered about this scene, and Viv being like, why are you banging on about this scene? Yeah. Like. What's really going on? Having an actual heart-to-heart about why this is such a problem. And even if, like, at this point in history they weren't actually that close, at least it would have given a relationship with a different tone. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, I know one big complaint that people were having even before the movie came out is that Aaron Sorkin doesn't have a great track record of writing women. I'm, I know you're a big West Wing person. I'm Mm -hmm. not super familiar with it, so I can't say too much on that myself, but like if that was something they wanted to like dispel that kind of like criticism, you could have given us a deep real connection Mm -hmm. between any of the women we see, which there's three women that we spend a Mm -hmm. lot of time with. You could have given us something between any of them but we don't get huge. I will say it does pass the Bechdel test almost every scene where that would apply but that's such a low bar anymore yeah. it's like it's not the only test out there and also like although I would actually argue that none of the male characters are written well either <laughs> no yeah I would argue that nobody is written yeah, well nobody has a whole lot of depth in this also also just to go back to the Bechdel test um Alison Bechdel creator read her comics so the, for those of you who don't know what the Bechdel test is you have to have two female characters who have names in a scene and they have to both have speaking lines where they talk about something other than a man mm-hmm. now a man can be mentioned in the concept in the context of the thing but it cannot be about a man right. and extra points if they don't even mention one but it's kind of hard yeah in life to have a conversation that doesn't involve a man at some point because there's yeah. a lot of them out there and that test was derived because like I said she was a lesbian Mm -hmm. and she and a friend were discussing how there are no movies where you could even imagine that the characters you were watching might be queer women Mm -hmm. because they were all just like guy I'm dating guy I'm dating yeah but um or man I'm serving or my husband father son yeah it's just women's lives (laughs) in the context of men That's completely, you know, irrelevant, but it's just context that I enjoy discussing. (laughs) It's it's, it's relevant. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I wish that they had given that a little more depth. I I wish that they had given 
the writers especially, because, like, I'm a huge fan of Jess Oppenheimer in general, because, like, everything that he did for this show, he and Desi, despite being shown as being constantly at each other's throat, and despite Jess being shown as not having any personality besides, like, a distilled version of Byron Buster Bluth. Um, <laughs> Which, at one point, she said, oh, Buster, and I was like, yes, he just needs to be Buster it's always. It's funny, because I didn't even mean, like, Buster Bluth. I was like, you know how you call people Buster when you're an old lady, because <laughs> I apparently am. But um, it just felt very natural it was very to right. say that. It, it was felt right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, despite them showing him not having a whole lot of personality. He was incredibly creative and a huge part of why the show was so successful. And he and Lucille Ball did actually have a pretty decent working relationship. They kind of look like they don't really like each other but have a grudging respect for each other in this show. But, like, they had been working together for a few years already at that point because he was the head writer on My Favorite Husband. And so he's got a lot of responsibility for why the character of Lucy Ricardo is why or is the way she is. Like when he started writing on My Favorite Husband, Liz Cooper, or I think she was still Liz Cougat at that time, she was a lot more like proper society kind of lady, social climber. And he came on and he had written for Baby Snooks, which one of our recent episodes we were talking about that, but he was used to writing this silly childlike character and he thought it would be fun to bring some of those elements and kind of like marry them with this like beautiful, upwardly mobile woman. So like she has, you know, all these desires for her career and ambitions for that. And she wants to be you know, a singer and a dancer and an actress, and she also wants to have this, all these markers for success in society, but she also is immature and silly and playful and all of those things. And, you know, that character of Lucy Ricardo wouldn't be that if not for his influence. So he was more than just someone who was like condescending to Desi Arnaz and afraid and nervous and anxious which not that those are negative qualities to have in a person lord knows i'm a nervous anxious person myself but he also was a really smart clever writer who deserves a lot of credit and this movie kind of almost had him in opposition Mm. to the show's success also I have to say, this director that they were railing against, what was his name? I don't remember. Someone Glass? Mm. I kept thinking George Glass, but that was Jan Brady's fake boyfriend on the Brady Bunch, so that's not who it was, but the last name was Glass. I don't know if that's a real person, because the episode in real life was directed by Mark Daniels. It was a season one episode. I'm pretty sure he directed all the season one episodes. Did we ever see Mark Daniels? No. He wasn't the director anymore in season two so him not being there if this took place in season two makes sense but him not being there for this episode which i am like very certain he directed in real life doesn't make sense so that's another thing that kind of complicates matters when you move that episode to a different point in the timeline yeah there's really And, you know, I don't know if this was the episode they were working on during that week of the House on American tragedy, (laughs) but, um... Fiasco. Yeah, I've, I've heard people mention it in kind of concert with this 
situation before, so it might be that that's what they were working then on. Then why not put it in that year? Yeah, that's what I don't understand. And also, if that is the episode that they were working on at the time, why not have Mark Daniels be the director? Because, again, I don't know if the director that they're talking about is a real person. I, I remember I looked for him on the Lucy Wikipedia page, or not Wikipedia, but the I Love Lucy fan wikia, and I couldn't find an entry for him. So, I mean, I, I could have looked on other sources on the internet, but I did say I wasn't fact checking, and I'm she sure she tried so hard. You yeah, guys, it was, it was really difficult for me. Round of applause. She tried <laughs> because there were a couple times when during the movie when it was paused and we were discussing, I said the phrase, "I know I said I wasn't going to fact check, but you guys know to the she point is. that it was like." a running joke by the end of the two hour and 15 minute runtime of this movie that took several hours. Yes. So, all day. Yeah, all day. <laughs> but going back to Baby Snakes, because you reminded me of something else I was going to be, and another thing, mm-hmm. and another thing. So, during the conversation that she had with Maddie about, you know, what we're doing with this character and the goddamn flowers, again, she was talking about how, you know, do, does the audience think that Lucy's stupid? Mm-hmm. And childlike and all of that. And then Maddie says, you literally say, wow. Like, you literally cry like a baby. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, well, I'm not trying to, whatever. So it's like, what what, what does she even want for Lucy, the character? Yeah. Does she want her to be a groundbreaking, independent feminist character? Or does she want her to be this, like, infantilized, like, mm-hmm. kept woman who also has these childish ambitions of stardom, etc.? And it's just... Going back to her being like, the audience is never going to buy this, I feel like that was the modern writer's attempt at putting, like, the modern sense of humor and logic on over the top, like, trying to make the 50s sitcom more palatable, but, like, it's almost like they're trying to retcon it, which is really weird, because if you go back and actually watch the episodes, the 50s sense of humor is firmly in place. Like, it's not going to make it more palatable. It just makes it look like you haven't seen the show. Yeah. So, and you don't have Lucy's character, like Lucille Ball, is not firm in your mind, and Lucy Ricardo is not firm in Lucille Ball's mind. Yeah. It's just very strangely written. Lucille Ball didn't think of herself as, like, a feminist icon, which, I mean, nobody really thinks of himself as, like... Oh, I'm an icon, but, like, she wasn't... Speak for yourself. (laughs) Most people do. She wasn't, like, in the business to open doors or break new ground or anything. She just liked doing comedy, and she just enjoyed that aspect of acting. And the fact that she did open doors for other women that came up after her was always something she found really cool, but that was never really... A goal she had because it wasn't something that like she felt she needed to do or she felt you know necessarily was even possible to do she just was trying to do her character and um for herself and they they weren't looking at this show like this show is going to be important this show is going to be a huge hit they just wanted to make the show so they could be together they wanted a project that would keep them in the same state yeah basically and they kind of play it like she's very aware that she has an important role in history yeah and that's not really something that she was aware of in real life 
it makes scenes like that where she's like, you know, arguing with Madeline about, well, you know, what kind of character are we trying to make here? By season I'm, two, I think the conversation's a little late. Yeah, and also, <laughs> I don't know that that was a conversation that they would have been having at all anyways, because they just wanted to make a funny, fun character, and that was the extent of it. Yeah. That being said, we didn't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we didn't hate it, and there was, um, I had a few other things here that I did like, like, um, at one point during the flashback, when they're like, oh, this is when Desi and Lucille Ball first met, when they were in their 20s, um, (laughs) in air quotes, yeah, thick air quotes, (laughs) um, He's singing this song and playing the guitar, this Alananita song, which is actually a traditional song, but um, I got very excited because I recognized it from the Cheetah Girls 2, the one where they go to Spain, and I have to admit that to all of you because it's very funny. And on brand. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I did like the bit where they showed the scene where she was recording My Favorite Husband. Yeah. I got very excited about that because I'm very that was fond a nice callback. of the radio show. I do think that the acting was all really yes. good. Yes, they, they, they all, all did such a good job. Yeah, they did the best with everything that they were given. And, you know, there were, there were a lot of, like, fun jokes and lines that we both enjoyed. And I think overall, it's not a bad movie, but no. it's also kind of a confused movie if yeah. that makes sense i feel like they had high ambitions yeah and then they just ran in different directions with it yeah that was one of the things we said when we watched it is that it kind of could have been like a mini series yeah it either should have been a series of deep dives or it should have been one feature length film with just one plot line yeah Like, I would have focused either on the making of or on the communism angle. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like the making of, with a title like Being the Ricardos, I feel like the making of is the point. Yeah. But I feel like the communism angle is almost more interesting. And I feel like the marriage is something that's been covered a lot. Yeah. Um, If you want a really good portrait of their relationship, um, Lucy Arnaz made a documentary called... Um, Lucy and Desi, a home movie. And she actually made that in response to the um, Lucy and Desi behind the laughter or before the laughter movie. She was so incensed by her parents' portrayal in that film that she wanted to make this documentary to give people a more open perspective to kind of see both of them as humans. I would really recommend that documentary. It's on... Prime and probably other places. Yeah, so it's just kind of confusing this film, but um, you know, overall, not the worst movie I've ever seen. No. Um, Not the worst Lucille Ball biopic (laughs) I've seen. Um, Both of those previous movies, they have their fine points, but I think they're not really as... they don't have the attention to detail this movie does. And it's really funny because neither one of those movies was like hugely well received by Lucy fans before. And now that this movie's out and it's been kind of controversial, people have been like going back to those movies and be like, oh my god, I love this so much. I've loved it for years. Like, no, <laughs> no, you <didn't>. haven't. <laughs> you didn't like this shit ten years ago. <laughs> you didn't like this shit like two weeks ago. Yeah. 
<laughs> you got mad because Nicole Kidman got Botox, so then you went and looked up the other movie. Yeah. So, you know, that's on you. That's between you and your maker. But, you know, I... I would definitely recommend checking this out, forming your own opinion. I feel like our opinions are kind of mixed, but also not seething. So (laughs) I tried to go into it with as open a mind as possible. I just feel like the script should have been workshopped a little more. I just feel like they really needed a really honest critique buddy Mm -hmm. to be like, Aaron, (laughs) what is the main plot here? I feel like... I feel like 60% of this can be subplot. Yeah. And and the some of it can just be cut. Also, your characters need some work. Yeah. And also, there needs to be a little bit, a little bit of diversity in the these repeated lines and these callbacks. Yeah. I feel like we can mix it up a little bit. Let's try let's try some synonyms. Also, the scene where they randomly show the bit where Lucy's doing the grape stomping thing. I don't know if in season two they were already planning season five. Oh, that's right. And um, I did like the discussion of like, well, why are they in Italy? Are the Ricardos and the Mertzes the kind of people that vacation in Europe because they feel like the kind of people that would go to like the Grand Canyon and things like that? I did really like that discussion, Mm -hmm. but it's also one of those things that's like, well, So why, when Desi Arnaz has opinions about what feels natural for his character, is that, you know, good advice to take on board, but when Lucille Ball has opinions on what's natural for her character, that's her nitpicking and paying too much attention to minor, unimportant details. Like, is that something that they're trying to say, you know, sexism of the day, or is that something that we weren't supposed to investigate that much? I don't know. It's not clear. Yeah. And it's also, um, again, I I don't know that they were already planning out season five when they were working on season two. So it kind of felt like they wanted to do one of the more noted I Love Lucy bits, and that was the one they chose, so they had to find a reason to get that in there. And then they made the reference to Vitamina Vegeta, which is like, guys... We've all seen those episodes, we know. And we it, know the iconic Mo- Lucy moments. Yeah, and also, to... like, in real life, that's episode, like, 30, and we're filming episode, like, 20, because Fred and Ethel fight is before Vitamina Vegemin. That wouldn't have been something that was already, like, known. Now what is that's this all... timeline? <laughs> that's... The timeline stuff is nitpicking, and yeah. I'm not trying to nitpick. But we it's didn't also, have beef with the flashbacks. Yeah, it's, it's also just, just weird that that's like. It it just felt a little shoehorned in that that yeah. was. We have to make a reference to these things. Did. And you know, the ending, where Lucy's freezes up, and then they have all the contemporary people being like, you know, that was the only time she ever froze up, and then we never went back and did a reshot. We just went with the line as originally scripted where, you know, you see her kind of be affected by Ricky saying, Lucy, I'm home. Mm -hmm. And we've already set up that she has this thing about home, home, which I think that was something that she talked about in real life, home. But it also really felt like surface level. They never really explored that. They just said it a bunch of times. Very ham-fisted. And I don't know if that is something that happened in real life. It felt kind of invented, I won't it lie. It felt kind of Spielberg-y. You know yeah, I mean? so it, it just, it kind of made, it was like they needed an ending 
that would just be a gut kind punch. of trying to yeah kind of trying to make this gut punch emotional impact ending. I don't know that it landed. You know, I appreciate the effort. Yeah. I feel like they were just running in a bunch of different directions yeah. and they were like, oh, we got to bring it back to yeah. the relationship. <laughs> we have to wrap this thing up somehow. It's kind of like us doing a podcast episode. Got to yeah. wrap it up somehow. <laughs> we can't. You guys, if you ever wondered what our conversations are like when they're not semi-scripted, this is it. Yeah. It's a mess. It's just one I feel of... like they're less tangents than like in real life, though. I th- Only yeah. slightly less. Yeah. We don't have a script. We have an outline at the moment. And it's a very loose outline. Yeah. It's just like, we didn't hate it. Here's all the stuff we hated. <laughs> <laughs> I know we sound like we did hate it, but... Um, you should have seen us in high school. We were a lot meaner. Yeah. <laughs> it's You have to be critical of things just, like, to make your brain grow strong. I and think. It, this is our background. Like, we, like, I was in critique groups forever, just ripping apart other people's I'm work. I'm literally And she's editor. literally my editor. So, like, I literally pay her to be like, this sucks, fix it. Yeah. So, if, if you can't handle constructive criticism and critique, then why are you in the creative arts? Yeah, and I think, like, ultimately the takeaway is that we didn't think that this was a terrible unredeemable film we just felt like it could have done with some more polishing yes. <laughs> this um this needed another pass at the editor however the acting was amazing yes. the sets and the costumes were yeah. fantastic nice costumes the editing was pretty good mm-hmm. again there were some choices yeah <laughs> but i i liked javier bardem performing i didn't know that he could dance sing and dance yeah so he actually um, impressed me yeah. with that. But, um... I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, he's pretty good. It's but, nice to know. Yeah. So that was nice to see. Nicole Kidman will always be Jillian Owens to me, yeah. so <laughs> she she gets a pass on everything. <laughs> I do love her, and I, I feel like she did a really good job with this role. I never really felt like, oh, I don't know if this should be in her hands. I know a lot of people had other actresses that they would prefer for the role but you know I think if we had Deborah Messing playing Lucille Ball we would have seen Deborah Messing playing Lucille Ball yeah and I think if we had had Kate Blanchett because she was supposed to do this before they signed Nicole Ball Nicole Ball Jesus Christ (laughs) (laughs) it's happened I have adopted her into the family officially congratulations on your new sister Lucy and Desi Arnaz um (laughs) your Australian sister (laughs) um Nicole Kidman before she got signed it was gonna be Kate Blanchett I think if she had done the part she would have you know done a good job I think she's a capable actress but why can't they pick someone who's in her 30s yeah why Nicole Kidman is more someone that can get lost in a role yeah whereas Kate Blanchett you tend to still see Kate Blanchett somewhat yeah but yeah, and or at least forties. But we're talking. I'm talking yeah. in circles. I can't speak for you. Uh, I don't want to get it on that. <laughs> I think I've said enough to get my point across. <laughs> I don't look. I don't want to shit on any creators. Okay, it's yeah. hard out there. Yeah. But uh. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> y'all I... turn on the light. That's that's one thing. Yes. Blanket. That is an honest critique. That is. I feel like that's objective. Okay. I know twenty twenty one everything's expensive, but mm-hmm. if you're gonna be out there making movies for what whoever made this movie, 
you gotta turn a light on. Yeah. Or read a headline or something, because we have a, we have a brand new TV, okay? It's a good TV, and I still can't read this shit, yeah. so... Yeah, give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long year. It's It's been even longer than a long year, so... But that was our... This is almost as long as the actual movie. Yeah. This is as long as the movie should have been. Yes. They should have cut it about here. I think we improved. I think we fixed it. <laughs> You're welcome, Aaron Sorkin. Send us money. Yes. Anyways, we're going to, like, wrap this up now, I think. Thank you guys for listening. Watch the movie. Form your own opinions. It's okay to like it. It's okay to dislike it. And that is, I think... The crux of it. And also, like, if you're making a movie or a TV show, please light that thing as if people with bad eyesight are going to be watching it because I am out there watching TV and movies all the time and I need to see. And also get a critique group. Yeah. Someone who's honest. Workshop it. Yeah. Genuine piece of advice. Pick someone you don't know personally. Yeah. Because your mom is going to be nice to you. Yeah. My mom is very objective and critical, but (laughs) in the nicest, most honest way. But just general piece of advice, don't ask your mom to read your script for you. <laughs> Do you think that's what he did? Uh, you know what? I bet he has a lot of yes men. Not No shade on Aaron yeah. Sorkin, but he's, like, established <laughs> in the industry. And as far as I understand, those people have a lot of yes men around them. Yeah. And you gotta not. You gotta have that one person who whispers into your ear yeah. that, you know, this can still suck even yeah. if you're literally Aaron Sorkin. We gotta, we gotta hammer this detail out here, buddy. Yeah, oh. those podcasters are gonna drag you out (laughs) they are gonna have opinions you cannot come for lucy you cannot come for lucy so she's just there's one point i think where (laughs) madeline says to her and this is this is very earnest madeline says to her you're my hero or was it vivian it was one of the two other women they said to her... I think it was Madeline. Yeah, she says to her, you're my hero. And I was sitting here in the audience and I was like, me too. Because I love Lucille Ball so much. So, you know, this is a woman that means a lot to a lot of people. But... You gotta get it right. You gotta get it right. And we as fans don't have ownership of this woman, of her legacy. But we are allowed to have opinions. Just please be respectful with how you express them. I think we tried to be respectful even though the fact that we are naturally quite bitchy may have inhibited that, but you know, we did our best. We're bitchy to each other and there's a lot of love there, so. Yeah, that's like the foundation of our friendship. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening and I wish myself luck in editing this recording and We will see you soon with another regular episode of the podcast. And um, you guys have a beautiful day and a rest of your shitfire year. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher to make sure you never miss an episode. And follow us on Instagram at My Favorite Redhead, on Tumblr and Facebook at My Favorite Redhead Podcast. Tweet us at My Fave Redhead or drop us a line at My Favorite Redhead Podcast at gmail.com. And if you love Lucy and you enjoy our show, give us a good rating and review. 